Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, the Magicians episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are reviewing The Magicians, Season 2, Episode 1, Night of Crowns. Written by Sierra Gamble, directed by Chris Fisher. IMDb gave this an 8.1. And on a positive note, there was 1.29 million viewers for the episode, higher than any episode last season. Beautiful. I think the word got out. Because of us. No, but <laughs> I think TV is, is reaching its stride and with the internet, just eating up all these great programs and uh, talking about it and getting like this whole social network involved. I think more television is being found and watched. The Magicians is one of them. The fact that it was on Netflix and in such a timely manner, that definitely gave it a Netflix boost. People watched it and because we didn't know about it. Yeah. You read the books. You didn't know there was a show about it. Yeah. We watched it on Netflix, and now we're hooked. So I think that happened to a lot of people. And Sci-Fi is doing a really great job with their website, bringing all oh this... Oh, my God, it's amazing. ...added information, experiences. I think it's helping to get the word out as well. Yeah, and we definitely explained a lot of that in Break Bills 101, our episode before this. So check that out. And also, there's a little more ad- added to that website now, and we'll talk about that later. There's also been a lot of great buzz about this season. One of the writers from Vox.com says, In season two, The Magicians is darker, deeper, and just plain better than it was in season one. And it makes a claim for being one of the most unexpectedly great shows on television. So Vox actually had something positive to say. I know. (laughs) That's amazing. That's why I quote them specifically. For this episode, the brief synopsis is, in the aftermath of their clash with the Beast, Quentin and his friends scramble for a new plan, while Julia and the Beast strike a dangerous deal. We had some great music happening here. She made a deal with the devil. (laughs) From the very beginning of the episode, when Quentin is running through the forest, there was a song playing, and I said, oh, this is really great mood setting. We're going to have to look into what's going on here. So that one was Carrion Flowers by Chelsea Wolfe. We also heard Hero by Extreme Music and October by Broken Bells that was playing as they traveled over the Rainbow Bridge. Over the Rainbow? Did you do that on purpose? (laughs) No. That was a great shot, and you could tell they definitely took care to make sure that shot was as beautiful as it was. Well, the Rainbow Bridge was undescribably beautiful. It was even bigger and better than what you see on TV, but that would have been extremely difficult to capture. I read again about how they're really restricted on their budget, so they're going to have to find clever ways to portray the magic that's being shown in Fillory. Yeah, I can see that, and I kind of expected that. Maybe next year, if it keeps getting bigger, they'll have more money, but you could tell that in the castle, the first castle shot. I was like, okay, they're keeping it tight on the characters because they can't expand that out like Game of Thrones, for Which example. Is, right. Frustrating, and I mentioned that in Break Bills 101, that season two is going to be the place where the majority of magic happens. You mm-hmm. see magic creatures go to beautiful places. I knew that was going to be tough. I was hoping they would handle it well. I think what they're doing is very smart yes, and strategic <clears throat> so that you don't miss what you're not seeing. Yeah. And you're not seeing anything that looks ridiculous. 
Plus, I think there's going to be some more interesting things to come where we will get a glimpse of creative genius at work from mm-hmm. some of the inside videos you see on the sci-fi website. Yeah, and I think it's great because when a show has a tighter budget, they concentrate more on the storylines and the acting to make up for that. Or vice versa, when you have a huge budget, you kind of use that as the crutch and you lean mm-hmm. on that for the visuals. So I think it's going to be a great balance and it's not going to deter me at all. And some of the new sites here were absolutely wonderful. I want to go back to one of our GOT topics that we used to use for episode reviews, new faces and places. Used to use. We still use it. It's just not in season. <laughs> well, It's not over. That's true. Let's start with new places because there was quite a few. First, as you mentioned, we saw the Rainbow Bridge. This is an ancient... I wish there was a double rainbow. Double rainbow! Oh my god, it's full on! Double rainbow all the way across the sky. <laughs> oh my god. Sorry. <laughs> Ancient magic formed this 100 meter suspension bridge across the gaping maw of an unnamed chasm. But it's not just a tourist attraction. This ecological edifice is the gilded path to royalty for tetrarchically inclined children of Earth. Brave the bridge. Conquer the Knight of Crowns test and assume your place in a lineage of rulers. What's that T word again? <laughs> Tetrarchically. What the hell does that mean? They're, they make light of it in the episode. They call it a monarchy, but that really would be one person ruling it. They have four. Oh, so it's... It's a tetriarch Ooh. instead of a monarch. Monarchy. So Let's travel over to Chatwin's Torrent. Named for one of Fillory's most beloved rulers, Rupert Chatwin, who mended his wounds in this waters. This river is one of the most profoundly magical places on this planet. It has cured countless physical and magical ailments, and no one knows the full extent of its restorative powers. But don't assume you have a cure-all at your disposal for every problem. Chatwin Torrent is to be revered and used wisely. We'll get into this, but when we saw that Penny was all right, I was like, they got to go to that river. Because we saw on the website that there is a, when you see the map, interactive map, I was like, oh, they got a healing pond river. So that's where you go. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, well, I've read the books and it's vastly different there. I won't say too much, but we did see in this episode, it can't possibly be that easy. And they can't just go right to fixing Penny. Otherwise you lose a lot of the intricate storyline. So we'll talk about how that's going to get more complicated. But first, let's visit Castle Whitespire, the sparkling gem within the magical world of Fillory. The castle houses its ruling monarchs, the children of Earth, and the towering and lavish fortress protects the four thrones. However, Whitespire has been collecting dust since the tyrannical reign of the beast. Last Fillory location, the Flying Forest. It is a place where the mind sets sail on winds as sweet as lullabies. Once you've found this place, you're lost. But once lost in the flying forest, you've taken a first step to finding yourself. And you're probably also going to find that witch. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure if this is correct. There are two different forests of renown in Fillory. One of them is the flying forest. I'm gathering that it is just by process of deduction. And again, I don't want to go too far into. I assume we're going to see the other forest and what that entails later on in the season. The only clue there is that Quentin is sort of stumbling around in the beginning of the episode, calling out, and he can't figure out what's going on. He's been traveling for a long time. He doesn't know where he's going. He feels lost. So that could definitely be the flying forest. Let's go on to new faces. 
we talked a little bit about some of the new people that we might see in season two, and they introduced them very early on in episode one. They talked about the High Council, a body that is essential for acclimating earth-born monarchs to rule. It teaches them about the inhabitants and customs of Fillory. It includes the head of the High Council, Secretary of War, Secretary of Agriculture, and Ambassador to Talking Animals. None of which I think we've met other than the head. Yes, I was just going to say, I believe we met the head. I said this in the last episode, this is a very ignorant quote that I'm going to say, but just something tells me that I don't think we should trust these people. And I'm just, it's a trope that I'm following. It's not like it's coming out of nowhere, but if you've had power for so long and you've always been the one that is under the people in, in command and then these guys show up and you have to relinquish your power and now train them to be the powered ones, I'd be less apt to give it to them. But on the same token, now that I think about it, if your place is in such dire as Fillory is, mm-hmm. maybe you would see them with open arms. But yeah. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I want to trust them. And I know you can't say shit because you read the books. No, I can't, but there is a little video that gives you further background on this and I think justifies your fears about Tick Pickwick specifically. If you go onto the sci-fi website, he gives you a little intro and he's acting a bit shady, Mm -hmm. making you question that. Now, I mean, this family has been in this position for a very long time and they're actually from Fillory. So like you say, they must feel we're a lot more familiar. This is our country, our kingdom. We know what all of this is about. And yet, it is a very strong rule that's been in place forever. You can't go against it that Mm -hmm. the actual kings and queens have to be children of Earth. So there's not much they can do about that. Random thought. I'm just going to... This is going to be littered with random thoughts. So in Narnia, we had one beast. It was the lion. I forgot his Mm -hmm. name. Who rules it all, or kind of is like the police of it. I'm wondering if we're going to have an animal or creature that is kind of like the person that keeps things in order on the field. Um, and I know you can't answer that. But the reason why I bring that up is I was th- when you were explaining that to me, the high console, they mm-hmm. always have to. Who says they have to? So that, that's what made me think, is there like a... Yeah, I think, A, it used to be Ember and Umber, the gods, and they were animal gods. Oh, Ram- yeah, I forgot about them. Ram gods. So I think that... When they created this, they put a lot of those rules in place, and I'm sure they have magic surrounding it, so it's not just as easy as deposing a king or a queen. And maybe they were more involved at one point in time. Now they are no longer in the picture. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this family. Let's move on to Tick Pickwick. (laughs) That's a funny name. (laughs) In the years since Martin Chatwin, Pickwick and his family, long-standing pillars of society stepped into the power vacuum as stewards of the castle, maintaining continuity. But long before he ascended the head of council, he had been a key advisor to several monarchs. He acts as a primary consultant for matters of policy, law, and Florian creatures. Yeah, that's the guy we were talking about that we meet in episode one. We also get another brief but important look at Fen. This is Elliot's new wife, a shy country girl at heart, born into a family of knife makers and swordsmiths. She has lived her whole life in Fillory. Like every other Fillorian girl, she went through tree school, which I'd like to hear more about what that is, and had a normal life. 
but it was always her destiny to marry into the monarchy. Her grandfather made this deal before she was born that she would marry the king. The high king, to be specific. So to start right off, I really enjoyed this episode. For an opener, it got us right into the action. Mm. And we'll talk deeper into it once we get into the plot. It got us, it answered the question very quickly for us, what happened to the crew. And it had a great balance of magic and humor and I don't give a fucks because this show's <laughs> known for the I don't give a fucks. Yeah, darkness. Yeah, and darkness. So that was very well done. All except for the ending just fell off to me. It kind of like, like a marble is rolling along and then hits the end of the table and just falls. It was so weird. I kept waiting for another scene and I actually made you rewind fast forward to see if we had missed mm-hmm. something they ended the episode on the word anyways yeah dot 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 it felt a little bit bizarre that whole storyline of julia and the beast it, it seemed like it needed more of a conclusion there mm-hmm. for now however i do like how they're handling a lot of this as opposed to the book like you said jumping right into the action I won't talk too much because i think some of the things that they took out from the beginning of book two they might revisit later on in season two okay but it was a very slow beginning quentin was separated from the rest of the group you have a lot of time going through healing from the attack that they had by the beast they don't go right into this new quest so i preferred that also we talked about how season one was very different because they put a lot of julia's storyline into it Right. And they paralleled Quentin's journey through break bills with Julia's journey through the hedge witches and other kinds of magic. You actually didn't get most of that until book two right. when Quentin and Julia are together and she starts flashing back on her experiences while he was at break bills. This feels a lot more natural. They're moving through it as though everything is happening in the here and now instead of trying to approach a flashback with TV, which I don't think would have been as effective. So it has been a while, unless you've been binging season one on Netflix the way we did. For those of you who were watching sequentially, as a quick update, last season, when we last saw our gang of magicians, things were looking pretty grim. Julia had just seemingly double-crossed her friends and ran away with the beast after he had attacked them. Penny had his hands cut off. Alice, Margot, and Elliot all appeared to be dead. Yeah, Margot and Elliot got their necks snapped. Mm Mm-hmm. Alice was lying in a pool of her own blood. Quentin certainly thought they were all dead. Thus, the second season opens up with Quentin running through Fillory. In desperate need of help, he runs screaming through the forest until he finds a cottage in the woods that looks like a gingerbread house. The awesome music. Yes. This place has lollipops out front, a clock tree in front of the cottage, and a healer witch that inhabits it, who comes out and talks to him and strikes a deal in exchange for a vial of Quentin's blood to help his friends. Okay, red flags right away. A vial of his blood to a witch who can do magic and spells. I don't think this is the last we see of this witch. Definitely not, and this is not from the books. So I'm going to make a conjecture here because I can't often do that. I didn't think about it until just now, but what you were saying with the laws of Fillory and there's no possible way to overthrow the kings and queens because you have to be children of Earth. Mm Mm-hmm. If you had the blood of a child of Earth, could that somehow maybe, skate around those rules? Maybe she can transform herself or someone else into a quote-unquote child of Earth. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. 
whatever it is, it can't be good. Especially since once they return, they find Alice was already able to revive herself and heal the others because of her, quote, God power. So they really didn't need this witch at all. So essentially, Margot and Elliot came back from the dead. It appears that way, or they were very close. Your neck snapped. Perhaps, maybe just, well, it looked like their neck snapped. We don't really know what happened, but yeah, whatever it is, they're all shocked. They all look at her as though, what's going on here? And, And she says, I don't know, it's the God power. Whatever I had from Ember is still running strong through me. You saw that. When she first picked herself up off the floor, her mm-hmm. eyes flashed green. That's how she was able to resurrect. Too bad it took her too long and everyone left already. You know, I didn't, I don't think I talked about this last episode. The fact that they didn't have a plan for when they saw him. So they were all like, okay, me first. You know, like a, like a Kung Fu street fight? Yeah. <laughs> where there's a gang of 15 people versus one, but they still all go at him one at a time. Yes. And it's like, guys, if you all swarm him. And in the dumbest possible way, Quentin starts doing this magic trick. That takes forever. To try to distract him. And he says something like, you never learn. Could you put something more useful in your pocket next time? (laughs) And Alice took her sweet old time trying to sneak up behind him. Although luckily she did that because she didn't end up having the knife. At some point, Julia had taken it from her. She also made a comment at one point that she still has the strong God power running through her. Is there a time limit on that? Eventually, is that power going to leave her? Yeah, I'm assuming it's gone already. When you digest something, especially, you know, there's the period of digestion and then it's gone. Mm -hmm. So the nutrients are taken up. So I believe at this point, it's already gone. Hmm. Well, it served its purpose at least. So, right, they don't end up needing the witch, but she won't return Quentin's blood anyway. She warns him, you're in fillery now. Be careful with strangers. We only look whimsical. Yeah. Duh. (laughs) (laughs) They're very haphazard with everyone they meet in fillery. I'd be like, all right, this is a a Falarian. Florian. I'm going to say Falarian. It sounds way cooler. (laughs) Okay, Florian. And they, well, we got Penny talking shit to one. We got... Quentin giving his blood, he must know it's precious. There's a reason why they're going to be, you know, part of the high council or a part of the monarchs. Yeah, they don't know what to expect. I think a big part of the problem is Quentin came in here still with these rose-colored glasses on that this was the fillery of his childhood, of his childhood, the magical books he had read this place. hook? Is this a penny (laughs) joke? Because he needs a hook for a hand? No. <laughs> this place that he had dreamed about all his life, he thought it was going to be so magical and wonderful. And at one point, maybe it sort of was a lot more than it is now. But that doesn't mean that a lot of these creatures can't be dangerous. Yeah. They're going to learn that at their peril. Yeah, and let's not forget she says, oh, you're not running from anyone? Normally they're running from mm. someone. So this is like a plan. She sits there, waits for someone who needs her help right away. It happens a lot. Yeah. And before I forget... These clock trees, they have to mean something eventually. There's got to be something special about the trees with the clock. Well, it we, can't just be a visual. We already know that it is. This is part of Jane Chatwin's plan when she went back. And she was the washerwoman, and everywhere she went, there were these clock trees, and I think she had something mm-hmm. to do with planting them. The very first one was there that she okay. discovered. But after that, it seems like it had something to do with the time loops that they're running on. 
So I'm wondering if it's almost like a marker for important places that the group hits every time they come through and ah. places where a critical decision could change something. I like that, like a video game. And that, that's, again, okay. not from the book, just what I'm assuming because I didn't know about Jane yeah. and everything that meant. It's here that the group decides in order to fully heal themselves, they should drink from Fillory's wellspring to heal. What I thought was interesting about this, when they're trying to unlock that circle thing that sits on top of the well, yes, it looked like one of the tests we had to pass on Break Bill's U, where we had to spin the different oh, things around sure. to crack the code. Yeah, But they open it up to find that Martin has almost drained it dry. Yeah, they try to take out just a little bit, and there starts to be an earthquake. Yeah, so they decide not to use it. You know what I would have decided? All right, let's pull up the the bucket empty let's tie it to you and let's draw you down i know for sure just sitting in that for a little bit something's got to give you something <laughs> the right? moisture right well there's so little of it left you almost have to wonder how is fillery even operating at all mm-hmm. we know that this is what powers all of the magic for the entire kingdom so it's actually amazing that it's still running and that's going to be a major issue for these people this season, it has to be. So we do find out that Elliot still has his flask. <laughs> yeah. I would love that flask. I'm finally drinking again since I had the flu and my scotch is almost out. <laughs> yeah, he's saving it for emergencies only, he tells us. In his flippant way, I love that. Elliot had a great episode this time. Yes. He was really, his acting was fantastic. You see very early on that they're doing a back and forth for this episode, we go pretty much scene for scene with the group here in Fillory, juxtaposed with the Julia story, what's going on with her and Martin Chatwin. So now we move on to Julia and Martin. Julia finds herself transported into a children's indoor amusement center in New York City with Martin. I like to think it's Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> no, has- that looks like, what do they call it, Funtime America? I've never seen that The one. indoor, you've never been to one of those no. things? Okay, we, you got to look that up later. She has left her friends in order to strike a deal with Martin. Yeah, we know. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> She's hoping he will help her catch Reynard the fox and not touch her or her friends in the meantime. Afterward, she will give him the magical knife. You know, like, what's your end game, woman? Well, we're going to find that out later. At this point, you have to be wondering what the hell is she thinking, but we'll get more into that in a few scenes. We see that Julia... Of course, she is concerned with what she wants to do right now, which is get Reynard the fox, right? But she's out there, and as she knows it, her crew, except for, except for Quentin, is dead. Mm-hmm. And she's not even feeling any remorse. Like, she just met them, but still, they're dead. And it's not even on her, the back of her mind. She's a tricky character, and we're going to talk more about her later. She spends the majority of book two completely wrapped up in her own stuff. And it's really hard to describe that. She changes a lot. And Elliot, in fact, at one point talks to Quentin about it. She is different. Man, this is dangerous. I don't know what happened to her or what's going on with her, but you have to be careful. Yeah. And Quentin just keeps wanting to think it's the same Julia from his childhood. And even though he in the TV show knows what has happened to her, that she's been through this traumatic experience. I still don't think he understands what the consequences of that are going to be. It wasn't even the Julia of her childhood 
or even of the person she knew. He knew once she found out about magic, she changed. Yeah, she it was a cracked different her wide open, and I love the way the book describes this. You get her inner monologue, of course, as she goes back home and she has these two memories of that day. It's not that she just completely remembers and the magic spell didn't work on her like in TV. In the book, she has a set of memories that she comes to realize are false, where she just went back to the library, she wrote her papers, she had dinner with James, and that was it. But she knows it's an implanted memory. She knows she can't trust it. And then she has these other memories of going to break bills and taking the test and all of that. And she talks about how the longer time goes on, the more real the second set of memories become to her. And even though she has no proof and she can't sustain that faith because she has nothing to hold on to, she also can't let go of it. And the more real the second memories become, it starts to split off inside of her. She actually becomes two Julias, one that used to live the old life and one that's dreaming now of the new one. And she describes the second Julia as a parasite inside of her. And it's bleeding dry, everything from the first Julia, taking away her life. She can't even bring herself to apply to colleges. She was going to go to Columbia or Yale. She can't do anything that used to matter to her anymore except think about magic. And she also talks about how it's funny how little other people notice because she's always been sort of a self-sufficient person and people that never create any problems, girls like her that take care of themselves, they're not a squeaky wheel so they don't get the grease and nobody even notices when things start going horribly wrong for her. Mm-hmm. Finally, when it gets bad enough, she st- stops going to school, she starts dressing like a goth chick all in black. Her family starts asking questions and she says, they must ask me at least once a week if I've been raped. And I keep thinking that I should tell them yes because that would be the simple thing. Mm-hmm. That would be so much easier than explaining to them what's actually going on. Wow. And I thought that was a particularly poignant reference to what the TV show is doing because they actually had to fall back on a rape in order for you to understand that quickly. They can't go through everything she's thinking in her mind, that whole monologue, the seeping into this darkness and depression. It just wouldn't translate onto TV. So a lot of people were upset about the fact that they included the rape, but it's kind of like how else would they have gotten to this point to show you how changed she is? You're right. I like the way you thought of that. And we'll bring that up again later. There was a poem she recites that sums it up perfectly. So my second thing about Julia and the Beast together is that at any time, the Beast could kill her. She doesn't have the knife at his neck the whole time, obviously. Mm -hmm. It's in her pocket. She's sitting. She's laying down. She's pouting. He could kill her. He could destroy her. So it's obvious. Why isn't he? He has something to gain from her. Mm, He wants her. He wants her. And that's what we're going to see is now she doesn't have to just struggle with her own demons. She's struggling with a literal demon next to her who we saw a glimpse in this episode. He's presenting it like he's helping her, but basically he's taking her essence so she'll be able to be his and uh, be his weapon. He thinks that... She could be somebody strong to collaborate with. And I think it's very interesting that they described him initially as having no humanity left. When he transformed into the beast and ingested this much magic, he lost whatever was left of him that was Martin Chatwin. However, hats off to Charles Mazur. 
think that's how you pronounce that, who's playing Martin Chatwin or the Beast, if you will. He's doing an amazing job at this very subtle acting where he is almost charming and persuasive with Julia. For sure. And it seems as though there is a bit of human left in him that he recognizes Julia as something like him before he became the Beast. Somebody who's been through an experience that he can relate to and is experiencing this intense suffering. And it's almost like he wants her to have that relief that he did and to become this better, stronger thing so they can work together. It's a very complicated relationship. There's a lot of layers. Both of these actors are doing a great job. It's, it's very quiet, back-and-forth conversation scenes, but it brings a lot to the episode. He's definitely almost charming in a way. Now we go over to the gang, who tries to come up with a plan to fight the beast back in Fillory. Not knowing what else to do, they head to Elliot's wife, Fenn's house. It's the crew, not the gang. Are you sure? We're the Coffee Clutch crew. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> it's funny, Elliot is maybe starting to warm to Fenn. He says that he thinks he likes her. I love it. I think I like her. I hope I like her. <laughs> Very Elliot-like. They realize they need to visit the Armory, a storehouse of books that could help give them the knowledge they need. Quentin remembers that Rupert went there before returning to Earth to do something about World War II. That wound up being right before the Battle of the Bulge, so they think he must have found something there. They set off to head to Castle Whitespire to find the Armory, but they won't be able to get in without being crowned. For this, they will have to cross the Rainbow Bridge to get to the forest where the coronation can take place. And before any of that, they need to find a way to help Penny. Oh yeah, by the way, Penny has his hands in a box. This whole episode, Penny felt like the outsider. Mm. And I felt bad for him. Not just because of his hands, but even when he was with the crew, he was kind of on the side, watching them all crown each other. I feel bad for him. Nobody even asked him hey, man, there's only one amongst us who is not going to be yeah. able to be a king or queen. Are you okay with the fact that that's not you? It was just assumed. They made a joke about it when Quentin asked Elliot, am I going to be a king? And he's like, well, would you rather it was Penny? Right. But almost like it was assumed. And what's even stranger, we left off the end of season one with Penny being a very central character mm -hmm. who was getting the group together on this quest. Well, I think that's why it's so devastating that he lost his hands because he was so central to them. And he's going to be again. Without saying too much, this feels like the penny of the books. The one who's always on the sidelines, who's not a part of what's going on with the group. And you could see over time where that would build up to the character I described mm -hmm. when we talked about him in Break Bills 101. So this is when Penny and Margot kind of split with, from the crew. And I love Margot and her Margot way says... You're wiping your own ass. So figure that out as they're walking out. I thought that was perfect. Back to Julia and Martin. Julia signs the contract, but Martin acknowledges the clever loophole in her wording. After his help, she would put down the knife and walk away. He realizes she will try to fight for it. At her apartment, Julia locates tweeted police reports of a house where five people were found dead without hearts. This is the clever comment about... Martin not understanding what Twitter is. And he says something along the lines of, birds can use laptops here? Yeah, I love that. <laughs> birds, birds can send messages? Birds have computer accounts? <laughs> this is what I loved about Martin or the Beast. 
they could have gone the whole he's just this being that lost their humanity and is just a one level kind of person. One dimensional. And that would have been boring. He's like we already said, he's got some charm to him. He's got some humor to him. There's still something of Martin left in there. There's got to be. Uh, maybe it's just us because we always want to see the best in everyone. But I'm like, maybe there's hope. No, but that was <laughs> such a childlike, innocent thing to yeah. say. Somebody who doesn't understand the way that Earth works now. I don't know. It made us a little bit endeared to him despite yeah. ourselves. He's Just, the most horrible villain on the show, yeah. and yet you can't help in that moment. Yeah, I mean, especially considering that right before that he said humans. Yeah. It's amazing what they'll do when they don't have magic. Mm-hmm. You pompous prick. And then he says something like this, and you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so then they decide to follow this trail. Their search leads them first to the gruesome crime scene. Reminiscent of the brutal situation where Julia first encountered Reynard. Definitely reminiscent. Yeah. While they don't fight the trickster, they do find a clue that Reynard is being attracted by a specific ritual. So I'm assuming it's the same ritual they did, right? It looked like it, and Martin somehow deduced that with his magic. He was able to pull the card out of the deck, and it showed him what was going on there. They talk about it. He presents it to Julia and says, It wasn't a waste. Now we know where he's going next. We know how to find him. So Richard's body, inhabited by Reynard, is still walking around. Yes, that part of it I couldn't understand because first I thought, well, he must need a new physical body every so often. And that's when he attacks because he was in that woman's body. When he came to them, they thought this was the oh, goddess right. they were seeing. And then he killed Richard and moved into that body. So I was thinking, oh, this totally makes sense. Now he's going to take a new body from this ritual. And yet they remark on the fact that he still is using Richard's body. So it's, it's a little weird. Now I don't really know what the goal is unless he just likes killing people. But he's definitely feeding on those hearts. It does something for his strength. Yeah. You know, I was thinking this all of last season, and uh, especially this season again when they have a close-up when Julia is signing the contract. Mm-hmm. She's always wearing this necklace or chain obviously not a necklace on her hand between her fingers mm-hmm. like it goes from her wrist past her palm and all that through her fingers I like, that's kind of slick you might look cool with that <laughs> i don't know if normal people can pull that off though huh it'd probably be really annoying, annoying. everything you, you do would get you caught would on think it. <laughs> yeah true so back to fillery penny and margo locate a magical river that can heal penny's hands And this is, of course, Chatwin's torrent. They aren't clear on how this works initially, but a river man gives them guidance. He sews Penny's hands roughly back on and tells him to submerge himself in the water. It works, or we think it does. Penny's hands look like they're healed, they're reattached. But then the river man asks for payment, a large amount of gold or many years of service. So it's 20, I think it was 20 gold. Which, as kings and queens... That's going to be nothing to them. I don't even know why it's worth arguing. You would think, even for somebody as rough and callous as Penny, you just saved his life. Mm -hmm. He can't do magic. He can't do anything without his hands. He should be overwhelmed with gratitude and appreciation at this moment. Whatever you want. Okay, 20 gold, not a problem. But he reverts right back to his old self, Penny. And that's what really frustrates me, is it seemed as though Penny was going through a substantial change yeah. towards the end of season one till now, stepping up and 
losing some of that woe is me for the sake of being a part of the group and keeping them together, working on this larger mission. He is right back to that old penny. He refuses. He berates the man. He accuses him of being a con man, says he's encountered people like that before, and storms away. And of course, when his back is turned, the river man performs a spell on Penny's hands. Yeah, that was disappointing to see. You could tell that Margot wasn't into that. She wanted to help him. She was even like, I'm sorry. I know they didn't have the coins on them at the time. I'm wondering even if they were like, absolutely, you know, our best friends are going to be the high king and the king, and we just got to go to them and get you the coins. I wonder, even at, at that point, he would have been like, no, you got to give it to me now. I think he would have reacted different, differently because it wasn't even as much about the payment that was a part of it, but it was about Penny's attitude. He said, you're going to have to realize there's consequences to your actions, and it's not just okay to speak to people like that. Absolutely. So that's part of the lesson he's trying to show him. I was thinking two things. One, I was kind of hoping for a better setting for this magical river. Mm. It kind of it felt like a regular just looked forest. looked like a normal river. Yeah, I thought it looked more spectacular. Maybe the, the water would glitter or something. Yeah. The river that can heal anything, you expect a little bit of magic. Just a tiny bit of CGI would go so far in this show, and we haven't seen much of that at all. Oh, we have. We have with the magic, absolutely. We have yes, clouds. but not the world so much yet. The world, no. Like even yet. that bridge, they could have done a little more towards making it look magical. Once they're finally on it mm-hmm. and you're looking at it, it just looks like flowers, which is gorgeous. But yeah, just oh, I think I don't we, know. we we have to make sure we don't forget that most of the world's magic is gone right now. That's also a good point. So that might be on purpose, actually, now that I point, think about it. But that. you are hitting some of the main beacons that are still the primary spots of magic in Fillory. Yeah. So yeah. I'm hoping they do this. They should bring Henry Fogg to that river, heal his eyes, maybe. I don't think I'd want to tango with this river guy anymore, though. Well, I wouldn't bring Penny or Margo. <laughs> yeah, well, clearly. I'd bring she, the high king. You know, for nothing, somebody else might have done a better job at smoothing that situation over. She gave it a half-assed attempt, but this is Margo we're talking about here, and yeah. she is not so good with that type of thing. He should have brought it up, though, in the beginning. Like, it'll cost you 20 I mean, that's kind of fucked up. I guess he's assuming anybody that needs something that badly is willing to do whatever it takes. Never assume, especially when it comes to money and paying back. <laughs> Let's go back to the crew. With hands reattached, Margot and Penny reunite with the group in time for them all to cross the Rainbow Bridge. And this is when the song October plays. Another great background yeah, song for the very scene. Well placed. They come upon a dead man, the Knight of Crowns, who guards a trunk. And he is there to crown them. Now, right away when we saw him, I was like, he looks like the Walking Dead, for lack of a better word. His makeup was great. They have a behind-the-scenes video, again, on the sci-fi website where he talks about it takes three hours to put that costuming on him. The beard is placed a single hair at a time instead of one whole piece. He's got the makeup on his face, the contacts, the fake teeth, and the fake nails. It's played very well, and he looked great. And I love his quote. I seem to have died waiting for you aspirant to come. Yeah, well, we know time moves differently in Fillory, too. So Lord only knows how many years it's been since there's been kings and queens of Fillory. And he's been waiting a long time. Yeah, I assume so. He definitely has been waiting a long time. 
And this is when we get the big comic relief section of the episode. In order for them to be crowned, they must first pass a test to prove they are from they are children from the earth. I thought this was a little silly at first, but when I started thinking about it later, that's what this show is doing so well. They know that they're following certain tropes. In fact, Lev Grossman did this on purpose. There are clearly references to Harry Potter, to Narnia, other magical places that they're playing off of. And they're also not going to take themselves too seriously, despite the darkness of some of the subject matter and the fact that everything sucks. It always (laughs) goes wrong for our main characters. There's always misery. There's still going to be that dark humor interjected. Oh, for sure. And this was a place where they absolutely provided the comic relief and you just have to kind of roll with it. So the night begins with vague questions about pop culture, which the group realizes is all from the 90s. And I actually right away said, this reminds me of the game, like, I love the 90s. Mm -hmm. Remember that game? I think we have it. We never play it, but we have it. Yeah, it's funny. The questions are supposed to test whether they actually came from present day Earth. But because this night has been waiting so long, he doesn't realize that it's 2017 now. That's right. The crew was having difficulty answering it until they realized it was the 90s. Mm-hmm. And they actually had the answers to everything, especially they Quentin, of did, course. did, but because it took a while, he wasn't convinced the night. And then we have the epic moment when Elliot delivers a monologue by Patrick Swayze in Dirty Dancing. And he did it stupendously. It was amazing. And that finally wins the guy over. He had the cadence down pat, actually. Yeah. It was perfect. I was getting visuals of the movie. <laughs> I thought the reason he pulled Alice over was that he was actually going to do the lift scene yeah, me with too. her, the famous part. And I thought, what a missed opportunity. They didn't even dance together. Why did he pull her over? They may have done the lift and then... In post, uh, cut it off. Oh, that's a mistake. It may not have worked. Because if you're trying to sell the guy over, the whole point of this scene is the big buildup that when you think about that movie and what represents the 90s, that's the iconic part of the scene. So I'm waiting for the night to be like, oh, that's the moment. (laughs) I get it. You really are children of Earth. And the night gives them the crowns. But before Elliot can just unceremoniously put this on, Quentin suggests a short ritual during which emotional words are exchanged and the group forgives one another. Yeah, it starts off with Quentin crowning Elliot because he's going to be the High King, the real boss. So he crowns him High King Elliot the Spectacular. Then Elliot takes his turn and crowns Margot High Queen Margot the Destroyer. He has a touching quote here. He says, I have known what you truly are since the day we met. Long may you reign. Then Elliot crowns Queen Alice the Wise. He apologizes for his night with Quentin and admits he has some character defects he is working on. This was very good. And finally, Margot crowns King Quentin, the moderately socially maladjusted. I know, I, I would have been like, well, everyone got a cool name. Why are you giving me this? <laughs> but it's so fitting for Elliot. And she says, you know, I could make fun of you. You're an easy target. But that's because you're honest about what you love. And underneath it all, that's inspiring. She has noticed that. And the making fun of it is almost the defense mechanism of people like her and Elliot who have trouble still believing in those things. And she also apologizes for ruining something that was so good for him. I thought this scene was done so well because it wasn't like a movie where all of a sudden they're like inspired and it's meant to be and they can feel it's meant to be. You can see they don't know... They don't feel very comfortable with it at first, and they kind of fumble through it like, uh, 
well, um, I should say a speech like this. And, <laughs> you know, before they open up, you can see it's very human the way they do it. And uh, it felt very real to me. Yeah, they take the opportunity to make it about that cheesy relationship stuff we were talking about, but on a much more serious level and actually acknowledging their flaws and forgiving each other and saying, despite all of that, we are going to rule this kingdom together and we're going to figure out a way to fix it. And then Q, of course, goes, royalty bitches. (laughs) That was perfect. Now, Elliot is the high king, right? Don't you think it's fitting or maybe more fitting if we call him the high Elliot? Because he's always stoned. He actually says that. Oh, he does? Back in season one, the end of season oh. one. Yep. He says, oh, that makes sense. Hi, King Elliot. But very quietly in the background. One of his smart ass comments. Yeah. We've said it before, but that whole high queen Margot thing is definitely going to go to her head. Especially if she doesn't have the relationship of her and Elliot to bounce off of anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, he got quote-unquote, married to Fen before he was the high king. Mm -hmm. So isn't there kind of like a... No, he was still the high king. There just wasn't the coronation ceremony yet. They determined he was high king because that blade could only draw blood from the high king. So that was established. And why wasn't Fen on the journey with them if that's his queen? Well, she's not a queen. If that's his wife... Shouldn't she be, be on that journey? No, because these are the dangerous questing missions only for the rulers, you know? I dig it. Before they go, Penny is off practicing magic on his own and realizes it isn't working right. Something is wrong with his hands and he can't control his magic. So he tells the group he is going back to the river to fix it. Penny again on his own. Mm-hmm. I don't know when he's going to learn. This is how he keeps getting into problems. He has to surrender to needing the group and working with other people. Again, it just feels like he's taking so many steps backwards from where he was. But I do like that they are, in their own way, going to tie this into some of book canon that was so important to the essentials of the characters. Mm -hmm. They're just finding their own route to get there. Funny you say roots, because Alice and Quentin have a heart-to-heart. Alice forgives him and says she wants to be friends again. She then admits she is worried she will freeze again when they next face the beast. Quentin encourages that she just needs to practice and finally unleash her full magic instead of being afraid and holding back. Alice then does some impressive magic and grows a full tree in a matter of seconds. She celebrates but reminds Quentin they aren't getting back together. <laughs> yeah. This is what reminded me when they went off to practice. One of the things I really love about this show is that you have to practice to get good at anything, hmm. just like in real life. And there's trials and tribulations. You mess up. You make mistakes. And even when you do something, it's not exactly right. Mm -hmm. And you have to keep trying and trying. It's not like, which I love. I love to escape with movies where there's magic and all of a sudden they're good. Mm -hmm. And they can do these extraordinary things. I love that too. I love to escape. But the poignant part about this is the darkness, the, the realism of the show. It feels a lot like more if magic actually did exist, this is what mm-hmm. it would be like. Exactly. And I like that they're all facing their own personal issues at the same time. We talked about Elliot and dealing with being unfulfilled, stepping up to the plate, not running away to drinking and sleeping with people, trying to actually rule the kingdom. Margot acknowledging that she has hurt people. Mm-hmm. And that has its own consequences and telling Quentin that she will swear never to do that again. Alice recognizing that even though she is very smart 
she has her own defects that she has to yeah. work on as well. And this is the big one. She is extremely powerful and has been holding back her entire life. She talked about that in season one. She's afraid of what would happen if she actually let it all go. She just wouldn't be able to control it, and she might wind up like her brother Charlie. Because of the very strong, trusting relationship she has with Quentin, she feels safe here to try that out for the first time, uh, maybe ever. She really lets it go, and it's beautiful what she's able to produce. So hopefully now she's going to be able to harness her own power and make that work for them. In the scene with her making the apple tree, and you can see it's just the tree and the two of them, I'm probably looking too deep into this, but it kind of made me think of Adam and Eve in some weird fashion. No, it's true. The way she plucks that apple down, and that's when they start talking about their relationship, which I didn't love so much. They're going back to the same old Quentin and Alice thing. She kisses him. She likes him. They both like each other, but they're not going to be together yet. What I did like was the symbolism of the more she taps into her own self, her own magic and becomes more powerful and confident, the higher that tree grows and the bigger the gap between them until he actually has to physically step back. And it seems like that's symbolic of something that's going to come between their relationship later. That's deep, bro. Okay, let's check in with Julia and Martin. Back at her apartment, Martin wonders why she was spared by Reynard. Seeing these rituals and the fact that he clearly kills everyone when it happens, why not her? But then he quickly understands she wasn't spared, and she has suffered a similar abuse to what he went through as a child. So what you're suggesting, I just get over it? Actually, yes. How? Mutate? Take over a world, kill a bunch of grad (laughs) students 39 (laughs) times? (laughs) See, what you feel, the haunted look in your eyes, doesn't come from nowhere. And where does it come from? In the center of your being, there's a tiny beating heart. What, you mean like my soul? Part of it, yes, the slimmest part. But it holds specific power. It's called a shade. Shade? It's what makes you feel the pain will burn you till there's nothing. And yes, it's also there for love, but uh, let's be frank, darling, you're more likely to throw yourself off a bridge than ever love again. I felt that way. And I knew it crippled me when I needed to be strong, as you do now. With the right control, you would be formidable even a worthy collaborator. There's a few scenes in here where it seems like he is being the teacher in all this. But again, I'm wondering if he's teaching her the wrong things. Well, it's a dark kind of mentor because we do find out he he briefly drops it in there. First, he's emphasizing this thing is what's giving you such pain that eventually it's going to burn you up. Oh, also it lets you love, but don't worry about that because it'll make you Mm -hmm. weak. It'll destroy you. She hears that, though. Something in her hears, I need this to still be who I am. Mm. The good and the bad, it's what makes me me. And if you take it away, 
It might feel a little better for the moment, but I'm not going to be Julia anymore. The same way you're not Martin Chatwin anymore. And she hasn't even yet experienced this is not the scene where he actually does take it out of her. He's just describing it to her. Right. You can see the wheels turning and you do worry for her for a moment because she wants so badly to get away from that. The way she was begging Marina after it happened, please just take my memory away. Put a patch on it. It's too difficult. Oh, that's a very real struggle going on. Struggle's real, people. And he is definitely taking advantage of it. The crew arrives at Castle Whitespire to find Tick Pitwick. Say that three times fast. <laughs> who tells them the Pitwicks have been running the council since there has been no ruler. Tick shows them the armory, which is mostly empty. It was ransacked, and someone took all battle magic books, except for one that they realize is from Brakes Bills. They must go back to the school to find the missing pages. I love how the writers made it where, like, how are we going to get the crew to have to go back to break bills? And I thought this was a perfect way to do it. And I love how you mentioned an armory. It must be a weapon because that's what an armory means. And yet for them, when they open the doors, their weapons are just all books teaching them how to do battle magic. So I think that's going to be a part of the bigger storyline later. What enemies got in there and stole all the battle magic books? Why? Does that mean that they're going to face a battle that they don't know how to win because now the other side has all of that knowledge? Oh, snap. And we're going to find out in a few minutes that the fact that they have to go back to break bills and get the missing pages is going to be a big thing. The opening scenes when they get into this castle, Pitwick explains to Elliot that uh, he wants to show him the throne room, Mm -hmm. but they can't find the key. Yes. I think it's the way of them being able to quickly show us the disarray that this castle is in. It's just the start of what they're going to learn about Fillory. And what's great is from the website, we know what the castle room looks like, and it's beautiful. It's very magnificent. Yeah, we haven't seen that yet. In the show, we haven't. Right. Yeah, but I can't wait to see that. What is more, Fillory is in bad shape. Mm-hmm. Elliot confides to Quentin that they have enemies to the north and south. Infrastructure problems and a wellspring drought. They knew about the drought. They've seen it firsthand. Mm-hmm. He must stay as High King. He cannot leave Fillory ever. That's something to note. He can never leave. Yeah. It's like you're asking a lion to stay in a cage while the cage door is open. Which makes sense because if the rulers can only be children of Earth, they know that there's a time difference every time they go back and forth. If they were to leave to go home to Earth for a few minutes, they might come back and it's years later that Fillory has had no high king. So this person has to be bound to the kingdom. I thought it was the opposite. I thought it was years on Earth, weeks on Fillory. It seems like there's no set rule for that. They even say it at some point this episode. It doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes Martin and Jane and all the chat ones would just go back and forth and there seemed to be very little lapse in time. I don't know if there's set rules, and maybe that's part of the reason why Elliot is so nervous, because they just don't know what to expect. Right. And the reason why I say that is in season one, when they met the kid, I forget his name, you probably know. Josh. Josh from third year class. Mm -hmm. He's like, I've only been here for two weeks. What do you mean? It's been three years. Two years on our... Two years, yeah. So It seems like more often than not, that's the way it works. It's a couple days in Fillory, but a lot longer on Earth. But I guess it can flip-flop. And perhaps with the deteriorating state of Fillory, things have changed a lot as well. True. 
And this is when we get that great tender moment between him and Quentin. Mm. I thought that was a great moment indeed. Yeah, he is so scared of them leaving because he doesn't know. You know, I could be left alone here. I could die waiting for you guys to come back. I could have to run Fillory all on my own while you're gone. Anything could happen. And yet he uses his humor. He says, I'm trying to look at it as an adventure. You know, I'm hmm. going to stay here. I'll be cool. Everything's fine. He's really stepped up. And of course you have the big hug between the two of them and Elliot saying in his very Elliot way. And do you know they don't know what champagne is here? I plan on inventing it. I like to be known as a champagne king. <laughs> Which is great. He's going to figure out how to make, make it, it right? on his own. But I was referencing where he says to Quentin that if he squeezes his ass, everything will be better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and after that, we get one more quick scene of Penny back at Chatwin's Torrent where he returns to plead with the Riverman. He apologizes and begs for help to fix his hands properly. But the man tells him his actions have consequences, and given his new position, he's actually done him a favor. He then tells him to go fuck himself. Yeah. This is when I realized that, and this was one of my questions in Breakbills 101, on Netflix, they can swear. So mm. I was like, how is sci-fi going to handle this? So they just mute it out. Yep. I'm glad they mute it and not bleep it or anything, or make it like a weird name, mm -hmm. weird, you know, when they do weird words, like... No, that's worse. Go frog yourself. That's awful. This is perfect. It's yeah, fine. It's fine. Is Penny fucked? I don't think so. Something's going to have to be fixed. Maybe the High King comes down and fixes it or, you know, gets the guy. Or maybe this is going to be a few episodes or maybe a whole episode long of Penny learning his lesson through the Riverman in a, a manner of teaching him in a way that's. Penny doesn't know he's being taught or something. Well, that would make sense. He can't just walk around shooting off random magic that he can't control. I mean, that's going to mm. end horribly. What really worries me, I would say you're absolutely right, and that's a great culmination, except for that he tells him he's doing him a favor because of his new position. What does that mean? Penny doesn't have any new position that we know of. He's not a king of fillery. And mm -hmm. how could this possibly help him? Oh, I don't know. There's something that we don't know yet about Penny's destiny that is troubling to this man. And he thinks it's better off without him having the full power that he used to have. And again, anytime that I hypothesize like this, yeah. it's going to be places that diverge from the book. So I'm able to kind of give some opinions. Um, there is no Riverman in the books. Like I said, the whole issue with Penny is um, kind of put to bed a lot earlier this ongoing struggle is a complete TV production and we might wind up at the same place, but I'm not giving you anything about that. Eventually what happens to Penny, this journey I think is going to be brand new, which is exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Now back to Julia and Martin. Martin tries to convince Julia to give up her shade through a demonstration. He takes it out for a moment to demonstrate the relief, but she tells him to put it back. She needs it. He says that he knows she's afraid to lose herself. I understand why you're afraid. You don't want to lose yourself. But hear me on this. Martyring yourself to your pain isn't all it's advertised to be. It'll destroy you. There's no glory in that. You might get Reynard, yes. But he'll still win. Anyways... 
And we talked about it before, but this is the part that made me think of her speaking about what she was going through in the books. And she references the poem by John Donne called A Nocturnal Upon St. Lucy's Day. And I thought it was just so fitting for her experience. Part of it goes, The sun is spent, and now his flasks send forth light squibs. No constant rays. The whole world's sap is sunk. The general bomb the hydroptic earth hath drunk. Whither as to the bed's feet life is shrunk. Dead and interred, yet all these seem to laugh, compared with me, who am their epitaph. It's super dark. It goes on to talk dark about... But beautiful. Yeah, how every other thing draws from the light, except for this person. For I am every dead thing in whom love wrought new alchemy. He ruined me, and I am re-begot of absence, darkness, death, things which are not. Oft a flood have we two wept, and so drowned the whole world us two. Oft did we grow to be two chaoses when we did show. Care to aught else, and often absences, withdrew our souls and made us carcasses. Were I a man, that I were one, I needs must know I should prefer. If I were any beast, if I an ordinary nothing were, as shadow, a light, and body must be here, but I am none, nor will my son renew. It seems to describe so perfectly what's going on with her, this complete nothingness that she feels inside. And I think that's what Martin Chatwin can relate to. And he's saying, this is what's causing all of that. If you just let me take it out, everything would be fine. And I'm worried that temptation might get the better of her. Yeah, especially with the beast right there, literally. What were your thoughts on the way she looked when it was out of her for a moment? Did she look relieved? Because it didn't look relief or look like relief to me. Dual parts. You could tell it was a relief to have the weight off of her, but mostly because of how she looked when he put it back. It was almost like when the group was taking out their emotions and putting them in the bottle. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of level at first. You couldn't really tell. It wasn't until later when they took the feelings back how awful that experience was. It was very similar here, but it was dual parts that and terrified. Yeah. Terrified that that thing was part of her. You can't take that away. So she felt like she was losing part of herself at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's where he says, you know, if you ever change your mind, just let me know and ends the episode with anyways. Hmm. Which, again, just an odd way to end it. I guess what more do you say about what's happening between them? But yes, that wrapped up our episode one. Yeah, I'm concerned about her. Will she be the enemy? The group's certainly not going to forgive her for this, not unless she has some amazing plan that's going to defeat both Reynard and the Beast, which she seems to think she does, but... I doubt that. That seems very flawed for me, and all for the sake of revenge. It's not going to be okay with them either way. She should have stayed. Quentin doesn't look that mad at her, though. He'll always forgive her. That's kind of part of the problem. Even when he brought her back initially and the rest of the group was looking at her like, dude, she just almost killed you and got you stuck in your mind forever. And he's like, no, we worked it out. Everything's good now. (laughs) Yeah. While they're drinking with the dog. They're like, all right, whatever you say. As we mentioned before, with season one, there were corresponding Breakbills lessons that you could go on to breakbillsu.com to experience. They released a new one for each new episode. This season, we will have instead fillery quests. 
So on the Break Bills U website, they also have Explore Fillery. We talked about that on our Break Bills 101. They have a map of fillery. They talk about it. And now they are also releasing corresponding quests. For episode one, it was Earn the Crown of Fillery. You have to use your wit to answer the questions and prove you are a true child of Earth and heir to the Florian throne. These questions were great because they were 90s. (laughs) <laughs> yes. questions so you had to know 90 films 90 shows 90 music nirvana was one of my questions mm-hmm. yeah it was fun it was fun to do and then the next one is locked but i'd be apprehensive to do it because it showed us well after you complete the quest i'm going ahead i'm sorry you get a video with flitwick mm-hmm. this is the one we were talking about earlier where he explains to you what's going on in Fillory and welcome, but, you know, they're in dire straits and he's handing you all these parchments of what's going on. And he feels creepy to me. I don't trust the dude. That's the video that gives you an odd feeling. He says something like, we're anxious to see what you can do, (laughs) as though he knows you're going to fail. But uh, what I was saying was they give you a picture of the next one and it, it's not a spoiler, but you're like, oh, so there's something to do with blah, blah, blah. Right. And you're like, ah, shit, I shouldn't have looked at that. Well, so, that's, that's, you know, be careful. That's kind of like when they do the description for the next episode. You're, yeah. you're going to see a little bit. It's so hard with everything that's online nowadays. But with our episodes, we will do our best to avoid spoilers. There might be a few here or there. Definitely, we're going to try not to have any from the books. But we always save our preview of the next episode to the very end so that you can shut this off if you want before you hear that. First, though, we're going to talk about our overall thoughts on this Season 2 premiere. We're going to start out with our rating. We always rate the episode on a scale of 1 to 10 using a different measurement. For instance, when we did Mr. Robot, it was on a scale of 1 to 10 robots. For Westworld, it was Reveries. We put a call out for the magicians to see if you guys had any ideas about what scale you would like to use. And we're going to go with one that came from our Clatcher, Simon. Thank you, Simon. And we also got two other suggestions from Anastasia, who gave us the rating of either using buttons or niffins. But we're going to go with crowns. Yes, I loved buttons, but I think that felt like more of a big deal in the books. And they haven't as much emphasized it in the TV show. So thank you to everybody that wrote in. And for episode one, I am going to give this nine crowns. I loved the introduction. I thought they hit all of the high points. I felt it, that it was different than season one. Everything just felt better to me. (laughs) I don't know, the acting, the way the plot was moving along. There were some parts with Julia and Martin that were a little slow, and I didn't like that closing scene. But other than that, they did a great job. I'm going to go with 9.2 crowns. I mirror what you're saying, and uh, I was excited to see the magic again, to see the crew back together, the beautiful land, even though it's not in all of its glory, I'm excited to see it one day be back to its glory, and all of their storylines, there's none that are boring to me. I'm, I'm intrigued with how everything goes. I hope Penny makes it out with full use of his limbs and his magic. <laughs> I hope Julia finds her way out of this, mm. and I'm really... I'm intrigued to see how Elliot gets along being in Fillory as the High King alone. Yes. And how the crew gets along going back to break bills. And I want to see what Mr. Fogg's up to. I hope eventually Quentin steps up as well because it feels like everybody else is taking turns trying to do that. 
and I still think he's kind of just hanging yeah. out in the background. <clears throat> so hopefully season two will find him there. However, that does lead us into our MVM for the episode, Most Valuable Magician. You can go first because I always steal it from you, quote unquote steal. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to give this one to Elliot. Fuck. <laughs> See what happens when you're forced to go second? It <laughs> yeah. sucks, doesn't it? Well, yes. I mean, he won the test for all of them to get the crowns. A with beautiful rendition. <laughs> yes. Dancing. His infamous Patrick Swayze monologue. He has been stepping up to accept his fate, but even more so in this episode, as it may mean staying behind in Fillory and never seeing his friend again. So that is the true test, and he's willing to take that on. I chose Elliot as well. Right now, he's the first one to make the biggest sacrifices. He's not mm-hmm. able to go back. He's dealing with it. He's going to find his way through this. He's, he seems ready and willing. Bring on the troubles, and let's see what we can figure out. And I hope he gets his champagne. He's giving up his chance at true love because yeah. he's going to be married to Fen and not be able to be with anybody else. I mean, there's a lot going on here, and he says, I'm going to treat it like an adventure, which is very admirable. I hope he does take this by the kahunas and not become a sad, sad Elliot because mm. I hate him when he's sad. He's not as funny or as witty. And they've shown, we've remarked upon it before, that gaining magic and even gaining access to this incredibly magical world of Fillory doesn't necessarily immediately rid them of their problems. They still bring themselves here and they still need to work on themselves. So they're all going to have to make that decision if they actually want to change. Let's move on to our favorite section. That's Clatcher's comments. We have no shout outs for reviews on the magicians yet in our region, which is understandable. It's a brand new channel. But we do request that if you guys dig us, even if you've given us reviews before, we're asking for your help again. Just give three words. doesn't matter. Just rate us and review us on iTunes. It'll really help us to surpass all the other podcasts and just get more eyes on us. Yeah, we really need it now more than ever. It almost feels like going back to our starting points with choosing this kind of show and building up a new channel all over again, we're definitely calling upon our fans. So as we said last time, when you search Coffee Clatch Crew, if you could pull up that magician's page and leave your review specifically there, that would help us out a lot. And just tell your friends. I know that The Magicians is not as well known of a show. If you're watching, you know how amazing it is. So spread the word. And if they need a way to digest the episodes, hopefully they will find their home here at Coffee Clatch Crew as well. But on that note, we do need to give a shout out to Melly, who has left us reviews despite some technological difficulties. We thank you for that. Yes. And this is when we learned that if you're in a different region from us, we don't see those reviews. Mm. And also vice versa. You don't see all the reviews we speak of during these casts. So when we give shout outs and you don't see your name, it's most likely because you're in a different region and we have no way of knowing. Thank you, iTunes. Yeah, so we do want to acknowledge that, though. If you would like to do so, you could take a screenshot of the review that you write and email it to us. That way we are able to kind of make that known and give you a shout out here on the podcast. Absolutely. You can email us at contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com or fill out the contact form on our website, coffeeclatchcrew.com. Definitely check out the website either way because we're going to have some new and exciting stuff up all the time throughout each episode that we review. We have some ideas for the magicians and also the website was just newly redone. So there's tons of fun stuff there to see, including our Patreon page. 
Yes, there's a great link to our Patreon page where we just released our January's bonus episode exclusively for our Patreon members. It's a two-hour show where we get funny, we get goofy, we also have some great stories. This episode, Christina did this great thing about blood and what it says about you. We also talked about, oh, so many things. The Golden Globes, the results of the awards, a couple of new things that we've been watching such as Assassin's Creed, some other TV shows, and Jason put in a relatively longer clip of an old CKC episode, which I thought was really cool because it's definitely not like our new stuff. It's unpolished and really rough, but it was a cool topic and we had some good guests on. Definitely worth checking out and we will also have our new movie review up soon. For those of you who are on that level, this month we are doing The Girl on the Train. Now, while we're talking about Melissa, we also want to give her another shout out for becoming a brand new Patreon member. We hope you dug the bonus episodes. Thank you and welcome to the family. In addition, I don't know if you saw this, Jason, but she asked if we had thought about covering the Shannara Chronicles next after we're done with the Magicians. And we watched the first season and we really liked it. Yeah, it's definitely fitting coming after the Magicians. That's something definitely to think about. This was a good reprieve, the Magicians that is from the latest shows that we've done. We did such intense shows like Mr. Robot, Westworld, Game of Thrones too, but specifically Mr. Robot and Westworld and Sherlock. They're so deep. There's Mm -hmm. so much going on that it's an intense note session for us, an intense research and podcast as well. We want to make sure we got so much right. With the magicians, it's not as heady. And it's yeah, kind of fun. It's a little lighter, more yeah. fantasy, more magic. And this show, The Shannara Chronicles, if you're not familiar, would be kind of the same feel. Uh, but we always worry about getting too stuck in a niche and boxing out some of the other fan base. So I think it's a great suggestion, but we don't know what else is going to be out there on TV. We have to do a little bit of research once this show ends. We will definitely keep it in mind, and maybe we will run another poll on our website when the time comes, see what you guys are thinking. Shout out to Emily, who mirrored the epic moment. She said, reciting Patrick Swayze monologue from Dirty Dancing to get the fillery crown. (laughs) I love that. Emily, just like Melly, talks to us a lot. And we really do appreciate that. We have some great conversations and just keep it up. Everyone else, feel free to join in. We love to talk. In addition to leaving his thoughts on using crowns for our new rating, Simon also said he's glad that we chose The Magicians as our next project. He loves the books and thinks the adaptation is extremely deft and does an amazing job preserving the tone and spirit, even when the storyline slightly diverges. So he can't wait to hear our thoughts on the new episodes. And one final shout out to Armando. He's also a Patreon member. And I'm assuming that comment was geared towards the fact that I shared the fact that I love video games on our recent bonus cast. Yeah, and he also said Virgo rules, so he's a oh, Virgo well, with that's, you. that's it right there. <laughs> Thank you to everybody who continues to write in and be interactive with this experience. Yeah, if we didn't say your name, we're thinking about you. We didn't forget about you. Thank you to everyone on our Twitter, at CKC Podcast, our Facebook, and our Patreon pages. Feel free to follow us, at CKC Podcast. This is the part where we give you just a brief description of what will be happening next episode. So if you're afraid of spoilers, we will see you next time. For everybody else, episode two will be Hotel Spa Potions. It says, Quentin, Alice, Penny, and Margot see a new weapon. Elliot struggles with being king. Julia and the Beast find an unexpected ally. Ooh, 
I wonder who that is. I have no idea, but the first thought that popped into my head is Marina because yep. Marina came to Julia's aid when she That's went right. through that whole thing. She's back on Earth now. Just feels like it might happen. Maybe that's wishful thinking because I love her character and want to see more of her. Yeah, I'm assuming they're going to be friends now, even though she shunned Julia out of everything. Mm-hmm. We look forward to reviewing that episode next week. See you guys on the social networks. Thank you for listening. Until next week, this round's on me. This round is on me! Try again.